Hidely ho, neighbourinos. We are back for the second ever Full Fat Podcast. I'm joined by uh, the ever repugnant Chris Fulcell. Uh, thank you for that. I-, I was expecting something negative, so it's uh, good to hear you call me repugnant. Yeah, repugnant is um, people. A lot of people don't know that, but in uh, in Britain, in the in in in, uh, in England specifically, it's actually a term of endearment. I mean, I don't know what it means, so I just presumed it was a compliment. So oh, yeah. Um, well, it's better than the c word. Should we put it that way? Oh, okay, okay. How are you, Chris? I'm I'm good. I'm good. Um, I mean, uh, I'm slightly shocked by today's news in the film world, which I now realise uh, we're recording this uh, on a different day. So when I say today, I mean uh, <laughs> the day in which the uh, Oscars were um, announced. Are we going to pretend the day that it drops is the day we record? No, we're going to leave it as a mystery. Who thinks? Who thinks that we? Uh, <laughs> who, who honestly thinks that like when they're listening to us, they're listening to us live? Like we, we fly by the shit of our pants. We record and then literally just send it out into the ether. Yeah, uh, screw that, editing. That doesn't happen. Screw checking. Um, God, the number of gaffes on this. But um, yeah, no. I mean, today. Um, I mean, you can probably guess what day we're recording uh, if you can be so bothered. But uh, today, the Oscar nominations came out, and uh, and my boy Sandman was robbed. He was robbed, uh, and the Safdies were robbed as well. For those of you who uh, need that in translation, um, Adam Sandler failed to gain a uh, nomination for Uncut Gems, and in fact, the film itself didn't receive any nomination, despite winning quite a lot of buzz and praise from critics pretty much uniformly across the and board. And it being the best film of 2019. Are, um, you, are you really confident enough to say that? Um, yeah, there was a lot of things I loved last year, um, but um, when I saw Uncut Gems, I saw it on the second uh, when it dropped at the Prince Charles this year, and then I saw it again over the weekend. Um, so I feel like I've seen it enough times now to confidently cement it as my number one pick for last year. Uh, probably followed closely by Knives Out, and I actually had a list I was making earlier. What is it you? Um, what is it about Uncut Gems that you like so much? Um, well, I love the Safties ever since Good Time, and uh, I was really hyped for this. And what I love about them is they take actors that um, maybe even popular culture sort of considered, you know, illegitimate. I mean, after Pattinson did all the Twilight films, um, a lot of people think he's a terrible actor, and it's kind of the same thing with Sandler. He, you know, he likes to make family comedies. Um, and in both Good Time and Uncut Gems, um, it's like a deep dive into some of the most depraved characters you'll ever meet in cinema. Um, but particularly with Uncut Gems, it's about a man with an intense gambling addiction, and it's a bit like... Have you seen After Hours? I've never um, I, I, actually, I actually haven't seen After Hours. Okay, it's a bit like Martin Scorsese's After Hours, mixed with Good Time, mixed with Adam Sandler just being Adam Sandler. That was the thing that really blew me away um, the first time round is... This is an incredible performance where he dissolves into the role. You don't see Adam Sandler, you see uh, Howard Ratner. Um, but at the same time, he's not doing... like you, you know how comedians sometimes when they do serious roles, they'll wear a load of prosthetics, they'll do a different accent, you know, they'll try and completely disassociate from their brand. Adam Sandler is not doing this. He's doing full till Adam Sandler... Um, in every scene and yet you're still completely uh, immersed in the movie it's great so do you think it's the fact that the film itself is playing on the fact that he's Adam Sandler or do you think it's the fact that the role is just so suited to him that he doesn't have to like you know try like is it is it is it like a conscious performance um, if you know what I mean I don't think it's in like a wink wink nudge nudge way of like oh yeah the Sandler you know him from like all these comedies right but at the same time when he drops a funny in the movie, you know, it's it's pure Sandler. And I was listening to a podcast from the Safties earlier and um, you can tell they're massive fans of like all of his kind of like earlier comedies. So that DNA is cl- is, 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 is clearly there. Um, but there's just, there's so many moments in the movie where you're stressed as hell just watching because not only is everything going wrong for him and there's about a million different things happening at once, um, they're all falling on his head. He also repeatedly gets the opportunity to make things right and he makes the worst decisions possible and you're just sitting there like, no, Howard, why are you doing this? Um, also, it's it's well over two hours. doesn't feel like it. It's insanely tight. Um, the script is terrific. It, it's 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 good time um, with Adam Sandler, but I'd, I'd, I'd say it's better. It's... Um, Having thought about it, I, I was of two minds because I think I think Good Times a leaner beast. And if you were going to watch one first, if you've not been introduced to the Safties before, I'd watch Good Time first. Um, but Uncut Gems is it's a little bit cosmic as well, without going too much into it. Okay, that's um, that's, that's really interesting. I mean, it, it, it's strange to me because I feel like the film on paper fits the kind of the mold that you would think that the Academy would go for. I mean, you've got an actor who is not known for Academy Prowess. So, that, that, you know, you've got, you've got, you've got 
an, a sort of an unknown contender coming out yeah, of nowhere. Yeah, yeah, you've got yeah. these up and coming directors. You've got a script which is kind of from what I've heard about the film. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. It's touching on real world issues to do with like diamonds and like like current trade and things like that. Um, yeah, it's it's a deeply personal story. Um, so it just surprises me that the Academy haven't kind of lapped this film up. I, I, I yeah, I'm I'm a bit saddened. It, it, it says to me things like Jeff Bridges in getting an Oscar for Crazy Heart, you know that kind mm. of, or Mickey Rourke getting nommed for the wrestler. It, it, yeah. Even if he wasn't going to win, it surprises me because it's just such a good PR thing to say. Hey, Adam Sandler was nominated for an Oscar this year. No, I completely agree with you. And even if the performance wasn't incredible, I see all those reasons as to why the Academy would vote for it. Um, but the thing is, like even removed from that like i do think it's the best performance of the year um and i'm, I'm really sad that sandler didn't get nommed the sappies didn't get nommed and they didn't get nommed for best picture i mean i think what we've got to talk about really here is is that i think all this with joker i mean joker received 11 nominations i think what that kind of comes down to at least what i think part of it comes down to is there was that controversy last year revolving them trying to do a best popular film um category they, oh, yeah. that, that was very ill-pitched black panther obviously got a lot of love at the oscars last year so we've kind of been on the precipice of a superhero movie or it, i mean it's well, not really I mean, a... it's not a superhero movie even though it very much yeah. is a superhero we, movie we've been on the precipice and what todd phillips has do, what todd phillips has done mm. is figured out a way to basically hit the right buttons to kind of remove himself from the genre and kind of put himself i'm not saying this is a positive or a negative just yeah. he's found the right code to kind of put himself into the way into a zone where his film could be appreciated by cr- not even critics just by like academy voters you one know? of my problems with the movie when it came out is that it felt like todd phillips wanted to try and have his cake and eat it too he wanted to make a comic book movie even though he said he didn't by bringing in all these elements of lore and like bruce wayne and his parents and like the night they died um spoilers i mean ev- everyone in the world and their mum's seen this movie at this point i mean i did actually take my mum to see this movie so that's that's not wholly inaccurate um and then he also wanted to make this like drama that was, you know, a, a homage, shall we say, in his words, but really more of a rip off of better Scorsese films like Taxi Driver and The King of Comedy. I mean, we don't like it, but it's been successful in that respect. Like he's achieved his goal, right? Yeah, because he has had his cake and eaten, isn't he? It's it's been non for this picture, and it also made a billion dollars. So I'm... not fair play in that respect. Um, but I just I, d- I don't enjoy it. I, I think it's. At what point um, with these kinds of things like Stranger Things, Joker, are we not? referencing uh, other popular media and at what point are we, are we just derivative of it? I mean, that's kind of the issue with it because I would argue, I mean, I've had many um, both sober and drunken arguments with people about whether it's a pastiche or a rip-off. <laughs> and like, to me, like, a pastiche does something with the source material and reinvents it for the modern age. So something like um, Star Wars is great because it takes that kind of hokey 50s Book Roger stuff that isn't taken seriously yep. and it translates it and says, what if we took this with absolute seriousness yeah and that's what star wars does so cleverly it takes hokey um terrible science fiction and you know over the top science fiction ott and it translates it in many ways the revival of doctor who is a pastiche of old doctor yeah, who, right yeah, yeah. it takes the ropey special effects etc and then russell t davies when he relaunched it said but what if we took this seriously and what if we address modern issues this movie whilst obviously there's a lot of people saying that it addresses occupy wall street and things like that it's but taking it the bear of any subtlety and taxi driver already did, yeah, like, yeah. The, the issues that it's kind of reflected are reflected in Taxi Driver. You know, and the idea of a dangerous loner and what if the government was doing nothing to help everyday people. I mean, that's literally the cab scene in Taxi Driver. Yeah. There's nothing that Joker does that Taxi Driver and King Comedy haven't done better. Um, that's what makes me sad about it. And I, I really, really love both of those movies. And the fact that it's set in the 80s as well, it doesn't even bother to do something modern. You know, I could get behind a movie more where rather than it being, say, him on a talk show in the 80s, shooting someone in live TV... Is it the 80s where, or the 70s? I think... I've, I've got this feeling it's the early 80s, because I think, aren't they taking the mick out of yuppies and Wall Street? I can't... I can't quite remember when it's set, but, um, but yeah, that does but sound right. You, you understand my point, though, right, is that, say they put this in the modern age, mm. that would be a YouTube video, right? He'd film... He wouldn't shoot, like, Murray the talk show host. He'd do a YouTube video and kill someone, right? Yeah, yeah. And there's, there's Well, I mean, something... kind of like how Heath Ledger's Joker makes... Videos in the dark night, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. And that's 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 at least that's modern. That's contemporary. This film is set in a society that we don't really recognise anymore. And I think it's a joke for people to be sitting here going, "Huh, that's just like the real world." Like Mm. I don't think it's operating in our reality. There's a lot of people that love it. Obviously, probably some of them being our listeners and viewers of the channel. Um, So 
you know, if you did enjoy it, fair enough. I can't force you to not enjoy it, but I just think, I mean, I think Chris, you agree with me that it's just it. It doesn't say anything new, and it for, to me it just feels like Todd Phillips watched old Scorsese movies and thought, yeah, we could slap um, some Joker on that, and uh, it'll make a billion dollars. And you know what? He was right. <laughs> I mean, as I say, like I don't particularly like Todd Phillips as a person, especially because of some of the inflammatory comments and the kind of the the, mm. it, the the weird lapse into pretension that he's had, given he directed not just Hangover One, which is a good comedy, but Hangover Two and Three. Yeah, like it's strange to me that he's asking us now to treat him like he's the second coming of Orson Welles. Well, he was um he, he was he was part of the um directors round table, the Hollywood Reporter, and you know there were people there like Noah Bombach, Greta Gerwig, um, and I was just like. You know, and and Scorsese himself, and I just felt felt like you know you you've made one movie that people have considered really really good, and then obviously like The Hangover, which is a great comedy, um, but you know Noah Bombach has made countless great films. So I mean, Greta Gerwig made Little Women and Lady Bird. Scorsese needs no introduction. Um, do do you guess, really have the caliber to be sat around the table with these people? I guess. Gerwig and Bornback never made a film that was as talked about as Joker. I don't know. I, you no, know, I'm just, the only I'm reason just he's in the room just... is because it's the most talked about movie of the year, yeah. and it is the most talked about movie of the year. There's um, no denying that. Like, no. I, I'm not. I'm not trying to. You know, I, I'm just. I'm trying to rationalise this eleven nominations because clearly this has come from the the fact that it has had a big impact on yeah. people, and it it has driven destruction. Even people who hate it, like it's it's a, a thing that it has in its favour is it is a divisive film. And I feel like it will be talked about for a while, for better or for worse, yeah. almost frustratingly, because yeah. I think there's, you know, there's there's other films that should be more higher conversation in twenty seven in twenty nineteen. I mean, you didn't like it as much as me, you know. I think Midsummer's been omitted a bit in some of the technical categories because mm. its production design was absolutely stellar. I think Uz has had a bit of a snub. Oh, well, would on that note, would you like to see my top? It's currently a top eight because I haven't thought about what I'd want for the ninth and tenth place. I think I will keep building it as I go um, on Letterboxd, but my best of 2019 so far is one Uncut Gems, two Knives Out, three Marriage Story, four Jojo Rabbit, five Us, six The Lighthouse, seven Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and eight Booksmart. Um, That may be subject to change. They may shift around a little bit, but I feel like those eight movies are the things that I saw in 2019 that I absolutely adored, Um, and maybe to a lesser extent John Wick 3. Um, because blockbusters took a real beating that year, and John Wick, my boy, was the only one that came out of it fighting strong. I mean, I think on reassessment, I enjoyed Endgame a lot more than the first time I watched it. I you watched it with your mum and dad on Christmas. I did, yes. I think I think removed from the hype, it's actually a, it, it is a well-made blockbuster. I think it still sags in the middle, and I think the ending kind of does that thing that I think a lot of big blockbusters are kind of guilty of often. I don't mean this in a pretentious fashion, but it does oft- It does ultimately, that end set piece doesn't have the clarity as something of like the airport scene in Civil War or yes. the battle. And it devolves into kind of just lots of CGI explosions. It which looks obviously... like it takes place in a parking lot and then you remember that it is a parking lot. Yes. That's, yeah, it does do that, but it's, it's a fun film and it doesn't... Almost Infinity War takes itself very seriously, which I like, and Infinity War really sells you the stakes of this. Mm. Endgame is very fun across the board in parts it's putting up the bunting saying let's celebrate yeah. the last 22 or whatever movies it, that have come out in the MCU which makes it almost impossible to kind of judge because I don't really feel it stands as a film almost in its own right does it it, 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 it is mm. like you've got to have been there to that, kind of enjoy that it that for me is why I think Infinity War is the tighter superior movie even though it's obviously again banking on you know all the knowledge you've built up of these characters over the years. I still feel like I could probably show someone Infinity War in the same way I'd show someone the first Star Wars movie, and you could probably gather everything that's going on. You I know, mean, as long as you buy into like this superhero's got magic, this one's got this uh, also magic, but we'll call it technology, and it's an Iron Man suit. And you know, just go from there. I mean, there's a lot of people who follow us now and have watched Look Who's Talking before. You know, I was never that big on Marvel, and then you show me Infinity War. What had I seen at that point? Like three or four Marvel films, and I could still follow yeah. it. Like it's a well-made movie. Mm. Like I think it's undeniably a very well-made movie, and I think to say otherwise would be, you know, oh, just 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 snobbish. I think looking back on the decade in terms of blockbusters, um, for me at least, it's it's one of my favourites alongside like The Fury Roads, The Last Jedi's. 
Um, probably that would be a, a pretty solid top three for me. I'd I, probably think about it. I think Fury Road, for me, will still be the best blockbuster of the decade. In many ways, because it came out of nowhere. Yes. Like, yes, Infinity War is an achievement in terms of there's never been a film like it in terms of all its crossover and all its strands. Mm. But to just knock this film out from a franchise that no one's seen in 20 years... And create this. That everyone such, thought it was gonna be shit, didn't they? Yeah, and it was such an immersive world, and it's 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 got set pieces. You know what? It came out in 2015, didn't it? Mm. Five years ago, I still remember pretty much beat for beat that film. And there's very few films I saw this decade, other than maybe Moonlight, and I'm already struggling. That I can remember pretty much beat for beat everything that happened. Right. I don't even like Moonlight that much. It just really mm. it, 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 Whiplash is another film that I, can I remember. I, I, I beat think for maybe you'd say Whiplash. Yeah. yeah, and that's about it. You know, there's very few films that I just think have really kind of stood the test of time in just sorts of not in terms of their quality, but just sheer endurance of being cultural memory in the same way. I, I yeah, I get what you I get what you're saying. I mean, I feel like with certain things, we're not going to see. You know their their impacts for like another decade on top, are we? Well, I remember um, famously I had an argument with someone in my first week of university about the Dark Knight was going to be a more influential long term film than Avengers in 2012. I mean, I started mm. university in 2013, mm. and you know I was wrong. The Dark Knight is an incredibly influential film. It was culturally ubiquitous still at the time, but it's still a better film, I think, than you anything think that Avengers the Avengers. Think... Is more. Um, is I it think. Still I think. The, I don't think it's because of its cultural relevance. Yes, because. Its cultural relevance has only grown because of Infinity War, because of all these big tent poles. The Dark Knight is a better film. I, oh, I, I, oh, never, oh, undeniably, undeniably. I, I, I don't think anything in the MCU, in my opinion, has equaled The Dark Knight. But as a, as, a, as a cultural phenomenon, the Avengers and Iron Man as a whole, they're such a they they you know you can't speak about the 2010s in cinema without the MCU. But that uh, I I do agree. But do you think it's only remained so culturally relevant because it's an ongoing franchise, whereas The Dark Knight? And, you know, that whole trilogy ended eight years ago now. But I, I think we'll be talking about the MCU, even if you're just doing, like, a film business degree, mm. you'll be talking about the MCU in any context, won't you? Yes. About the history of film. Like, you know, if you're doing very lazy tent poles on film history, you know, mm. oh, this was when we had Chaplin and Keaton and stuff like that. I do think as much as, you know, people are quite snobbish towards it, you can't mm. ignore it. You can't ignore That's it true. in history. Although I do think... I mean, partly because the Batman franchise is far older than a lot of other superhero franchises, it, it kind of has its own place in film history outside of the superhero genre. Like, even once this genre goes the way of the Western, we will, we will still get Batman movies. I mean, I'd agree with you wholeheartedly. I think it's strange that Batman... I mean, coming kind of just quickly back to Phillips, I guess it was always going to be a Batman film. Mm. If any if any superhero film was going to win Best Picture, it was always going to be a Batman film. Well, Not know, that it's won it yet, but you know what I'm saying. Like, you know, he said that he didn't think the success was because of the Batman name, and I'm just like, well, he's a moron, isn't he? It absolutely is because of the Batman name. People went to see it because they loved the Joker. I'm not saying it's necessarily a bad film because of that, but you, you can't deny he that owes that's... it to the Dark Knight. Exactly, of course he does. Um, I saw a really good tweet. Um, retweeting him quote uh, him saying that in an interview and it, it was you know the film Upgrade yes very very similar in concept uh, completely coincidentally to Venom Venom obviously made nearly a billion or did it make more than a billion and Upgrade made like a fraction of that just to prove a point there, you know, if it had Venom slapped over it, I'm sure more people would have well, flopped as the upgrade. Iconography equals profit. I mean, anyone can tell you that. Mm. Like, it's a stupid assertion yeah. to say. That doesn't mean that the film would be... I don't think the film would be quality changes without the branding. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm. I, I feel like if you took the bare bones of many superhero movies and turned them... You know, The Winter Soldier could still be a good thriller. Do you know what I mean? Without yes. all the history. But at the same time, it's the iconography that sells that shit, isn't it? Mm. It is. Mm. Um, speaking of MCU, you... The MCU... The MCU... It was the third time was the charm there, wasn't it? <laughs> I was trying to say it, you know, smoothly. As smoothly as possible. Segways. Segways. Um, there's some MCU, MCU news that I would like to discuss with you Chris that is one of the worst segues of all time <laughs> well it's probably because you just sort of left me floundering didn't you well you went speaking of MCU I was like um, MCU you know, MCU I, I was like Leo and you were Rose on that bloody piece of wood you, you didn't offer me anything did you I just froze to death there you really <laughs> have a big ego don't you you're Leo <laughs> snubbed um, no he got nominated didn't he uh, yes did he did oh, um, yeah. it, no but he's he's not in contention is he He's not a contender in this. No, he? no, I don't. It's it's no. driver De Niro and Phoenix. That's the race. 
I mean, I think it's... And I think um, it's Phoenix. It's, yeah, it's a one-horse race, let's be honest. Yeah, it reminds um, me of the year Leo won for the Revenant, where, like, his biggest competition was the Martian. Yes, Like, it's just, yeah. like, it's been handed to him. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, <laughs> before I uh, completely botched that segue, what I was going to say is um, there's quite a lot of MCU news um, in the last seven days since we last recorded. Um, Christian Bale has reportedly joined the MCU. I don't think it's been confirmed yet. Is he playing um, Batman? <laughs> he's not playing Batman although that wouldn't that be a twist um, <laughs> Batman v MCU Dawn of Justice <laughs> Batman would have enough prep time to win I'm sure um, but yeah he's going to be in Thor Love and Thunder which I can't believe because Christian Bale although he starred as Batman in three movies he's not the sort of actor that I think would star in an MCU superhero movie can, can you believe that the first four film I think is one of the weaker phase one films and now I think Four is really pushing it to be the best character in MCU, and this film just yes. looks more and more fun the more I hear about well, it. Well, I think interestingly, him and Christian Bale's Batman, I think, have had some of the best arcs of any superhero in in cinema. Um, you know, like to see Thor lose everything, and not in like you know the way you can say some characters lose everything. Like he literally loses everything across the last three appearances he's had. Um, it's been nothing short of fantastic. And I'm really excited to see where it goes in the next instalment. It's particularly with Taika Waititi um, coming off the back of Jojo Rabbit, which I loved. Um, you know it's going to be really Bale. fun, don't you? you yeah. Know oh, it's yeah, yeah. You know yeah. it's, it's going to be up there with Guardians for the straight funnest film in the MCU. But I also think it's going to have the heart. I mean, um, I don't know if you know Chris, but uh, you know Natalie Portman's coming back yes. as Lady Thor. Um, in the comics, um, she's actually dying of cancer before she gets the hammer. Mm-hmm. So and. Takawati said that he's read that run, he really likes it. Um, and if anyone could do that outside of maybe James Gunn in the MCU, um, I think he could do that story justice and make us all cry and laugh within the same two-hour experience. So I'm really excited for that. I'm really excited for Christian Bale. On sadder news, Scott Derrickson, the director of the first Doctor Strange movie, um, has left Marvel over creative differences. It's, it's sad in a way because... I do. F- I'm. I'm not sure. I buy the whole narrative that people are putting out. That he put that press statement out saying it was going to be the first horror film in the MCU. And then Kevin Feige said it's not really a horror. And then abruptly, I don't. I don't think he was fired for saying that. I think that's a bit facetious. Oh, who said that? Oh, it's been all over Twitter. Like that's been the narrative that's kind of been spun oh, out of right. it. Is that he said the horror thing, and that's the creative difference. But I, I, you know, it's just it's a shame to me because it's the same thing as when Edgar Wright was taken off Ant Man. We're not going to see that movie now, are we? No, no. We're just going to see a completely different movie. We're going to get. Um... Something very by the numbers, something very safe. Um, I wonder how much of it was to do with toning down the horror elements and how much of it was to do with... The, I've seen like multiple articles about how XYZ is going to lead in and out of Disney Plus with Doctor Strange into the multiverse. Into the multiverse of madness, sorry. Um, like the Loki show was meant to weave into it somehow. WandaVision, um, there were a few other things. I'm just kind of like, well, I think it was probably a little bit of that might have been some of the pushback um, because that ruins storytelling. I mean, we've all seen how it, you know, screwed over Iron Man 2. Um, and also, there was a Comic-Con clip which was shared around on Twitter I saw uh, after the news and it was when Derrickson was announced as director on uh, uh, Hall H and he was asked why he came back and he said, I didn't just want to do a sequel to Doctor Strange that would feel redundant. I wanted to make um, something that was in touch with my roots as a director and make like a proper horror movie. Um, and then, like, seconds later, Kevin Feige says something along the lines of, it's PG-13, you're going to like it, to the crowd, um, which is a bit chilling now. Um, Why I mean, aren't we getting an 18-rated MCU film? I get that it's, you know, mm. it, it does, you know, but, I mean... Joker has shown us that eighteen the R-rated films can gross a billion. So but, why aren't we getting an R-rated? But even MCU outside film? of Joker, like we've been doing this this rodeo for years now. Deadpool, Logan, they both made all the money, and fans love them. Fans and critics love them, which you know in, in in this in this age is quite hard to do, isn't it? I guess the thing with the MCU though has always been like you know as much uh, you know um, we do use this excuse a lot for franchises we love like Doctor Who and. Um, Star Wars mm. they are family movies they are they're about taking yes. a little five year old to go and see Iron Man and then him wanting an Iron Mask for his uh, birthday no I don't you just take me instead <laughs> yes exactly the same thing um, and then they get an Iron Mask for oh god yeah um, <laughs> but no no but that's that's what those films are about so I do understand to some degree from a business perspective you know they're thinking about kids in the cinema yeah. um, sort of thing but at the same time 
we've just had this incredibly ambitious crossover. Why can't the only way to sort of fight back against that and not just make everything feel like oh we're building again because we've already had a crossover is why aren't we getting more genre picks? Why aren't we yeah. getting a kitchen sink? Which is what the MC does feel like at the moment. I'm not particularly hyped for much of Phase 4. Um, maybe when we start seeing more from it. I mean, the fact um, he was already talking about Phase 5. Yeah. A lot, I mean, I feel like Phase 4's big gamble, quote-unquote, is making Disney Plus IPs intertwine with the movies. Yeah. Which I think, for, especially because we're coming out of the UK, I don't think that's going to pay off in the way that they think. Um, especially no, when you look either. at the drop-off rates from The Mandalorian in mm. subscriptions. I think mm. it, it it's reminding me... Of when Jay Z, Kanye West, and Rihanna said, "We're only going to put music out on Tidal," and within a few months, Kanye West had already relinquished that and got his <laughs> music back on Spotify. Rihanna put Anti back up on Spotify, and then yeah. now on his birthday, Jay Z has put it back on Spotify. Yeah. People don't like having to pay for disparate. Like I do think, well, I think they see through it, don't they? You know, it's yes. a ploy to get your money. I like the idea of spin-offs coming to TV. You know, and I'll tell you what was great show that did intertextual storytelling very well very early on was Heroes when it was releasing graphic novels alongside its first season. It was releasing like cool shorts on its website that mm. were like mini spin-offs. That's a good way for me to do like transtextuality. What isn't a good way is to make people pay to be able to finish the stories that they yeah. love especially when you're trying to make something that's culturally homogenous like the MCU you can't be expecting people to just be buying things to understand it it's, it's only when it's optional do you want to go and seek it out like when the MCU started out you know you didn't need to watch Thor to understand Iron Man 1 and 2 and you know it, later on the payoffs kind of came with things like Civil War when it started to weave together a bit more uh, essentially but but I don't want that now. I'm, I'm I'm tired of it all anyway. To be honest, like Infinity War and Endgame was exhausting. As much as I loved both of them and I loved the the cultural movement around it, um, they need to go in like a really fresh direction. That, that was the thing of the 2010s, wasn't it? I want something new to define the 2020s in the same way that in music, you know, certain genres defined um, mm. that. You know, if we if it's 2029 and trap is still one of the most commercially viable forms of oh hip-hop, hell's yeah, no, <laughs> yeah, you, you don't want that. As much as I lamented the death of people. Early on in the early 2010s, like, you know, Kanye West's slow slide into decline across yeah. that decade, etc. At least with Trap, you know. When you say a... the death of people, you mean their music, don't you? Yeah, yeah, their music. Like, <laughs> metaphorically. Just officially, yeah. official or, statement. Or, like, you know, is. how grime came back into cultural ubiquity in, like, 2016 through to 2020. You don't want those same... And by the same token, you don't, you know... It's nice to see a horror renaissance. Do I want a horror renaissance for... 20 years no that's what's cool mm. about this it'd be cool if in 2020 westerns came back you know the action movie has had a huge resurgence hasn't it do you boy do you think it went away um, i don't think it went away but i think what it's had in the same way that horror i don't think horror really went away but i think it's had a critical reevaluation. i see what you mean in the 2010s i think fury road opened the gates for people to take a movie like john wick more seriously than maybe they would have done had john wick come out in the mid-2000s, mm. the exact same six stats. In the same way that The Matrix did in the 90s and the Mission Impossible franchise did and all these... Yeah. You know, in the fact that people took Fast and Furious 7 seriously <laughs> to some extent. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, you know, it would be nice to see a Western come out to the calibre of No Country for Old Men, for example, in this decade. Or yeah. to see, you know, I feel like animation is both coming into its own and sort of with this year's Oscar lineup, a bit like... I think the big genre we'll see... Um across the next decade will be video game movies more and more of them keep sort of like cropping up out of the woodwork it's it's only going to take one of them to be legit good yeah because we've already seen that with detective pikachu like it didn't get panned did it? no and people really like that and i do think that's a step in the right direction because it kind of adapted key ideas within that that, that franchise and made it something its own i think um, I mean, I really want the Uncharted movie to be good. I'm, I'm not so certain about that. Um, but I do think the Metal Gear Solid movie might knock it out of the park, and that could be the first one because I've got a lot of time for Jordan Boyd Roberts. Um, and 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 even if it's not that, I do think in the same way uh, Blade, X Men, Spider Man uh, knocked it out of the park, and then and saw that resurgence of superhero movies. Uh, I do think we'll, we'll get some. We'll get an awesome comic book movie, uh, video game movie. Sorry, in the next decade. My my only worry is they're batting for the wrong kind of IPs. Like the cool thing about, say, a Last of Us movie is that the Last mm. of Us, um, sorry, not the cool thing. Almost the cool thing about the Last of Us is it's a cinematic game, right? Uncharted is yeah. a cinematic game. It feels a bit redundant to turn it into a movie because it did so much for the art form. Well, I think what something like Pikachu or Sonic is... Sonic, is, yeah, yeah, That's what yeah, I mean. Yeah. Like, we want a colourful... Like, what video games are, uh, would be cool? I would love to see something like, say, 
another Mario movie, but it's just good. Absolutely, absolutely. I would eat that up, a CGI Mario movie with the right director, with someone like Phil Lord behind yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. someone, not even, like a Phil Lord-esque one by someone who actually loves the world. You could get a great movie out of that. Yeah. And I think that's the thing that's going to crack it, like a really good Crash Bandicoot or Spyro movie. If you could make the Lego movie and make it awesome, there's no excuse why you can't make an awesome Mario Brothers movie. It's no. like a, a cosmic epic where they have to go and save Princess Peach and fight dinosaurs. There's so much iconography in the world. Unlike Lego, you can say, oh, Mario's not a character, but Lego isn't a character. Like, no. Right, you can build... You don't even have to make Mario the main guy. Like, You could have someone else, a randomer in the universe. You know what was a really good way of doing that? That Muppets movie with Jason Segel. I haven't seen it. And it's excellent. Because what it does is, it's about someone who's born a puppet Okay. Right. So they're a puppet, and all they've ever wanted to do is be one of the Muppets. Oh, so the setup is, is that Jason Siegel's like his brother, and this, I'm working off memory here, but I think Jason Siegel's his brother, and he's like, well, why don't we go and like meet the Muppets? And that's the whole thing. So you get you've got this kind of normal audience surrogate, and you've got like an easy gold driven oh, thing, and people okay. like Kermit and P- Miss Piggy and stuff are there for the ride. Oh, and they're already like legends. Yeah, yeah. And oh, it's, it's okay. so it's, it's it's a clever way to do it. So by the same token, you could have. I want to be a, it's just a random Goomba or something I want to be a star in Mushroom Kingdom yeah. and then Mario's just in the film it doesn't have to be like Mario and Luigi are the main characters even do you know no, what I mean although I would like a, a buddy cop action movie with Mario and Luigi oh you got that with Bob Hopkins <laughs> <laughs> and John Leguizamo my boy Mario um, Mario and Luigi Mario <laughs> what's your first name Mario, what's your last name Mario <laughs> no, I mean Shigeru Miyamoto did confirm that that is actually their uh, <laughs> yeah because they're the Mario yeah. Bros aren't they but you know if he says it I'll go with it you know yeah. if some some fucking Hollywood director says it yeah. it's bullshit I mean you could make a you could make a good Legend of Zelda movie like I feel like Nintendo yeah. for me I mean I'm a Nintendo fanboy as you know but I feel like Nintendo is the perfect place to make a really really good video game movie because it's such yeah. a colourful world well they're, they're they're more mythic IPs aren't they they've been around yeah. longer I think I feel like something like Nathan Drake as you said it's like there's already a great Nathan Drake yeah. story out there. Do we need to see it on film? Whereas I'll it's... roll my eyes if we get a Bioshock movie. Do you know what I mean? It's like you've played the movie. It's the game. I see what you mean. I feel like with Bioshock because it's you know more the nature of having like a silent protagonist and you finding audio logs and that kind of thing. Yeah. Maybe, maybe there is a an awesome movie. I mean, Gore Verbinski almost made it. Really? Just, yeah. They um they couldn't get the budgets to work. Ah, um, okay. He was basically making an R-rated blockbuster, and they were just like, no, the budget needs to go way down. He was like, I can't make it for that. Um, wow. Yeah. Um, it's a shame. It's a, it's a crying shame. Um, shall we move on to the thing that we saw together on Friday, if you remember? Uh, free solo. Indeed, indeed. Free is a solo. Um, I mean, I don't really, I don't want to draw on free solo too much, just because like it, it, it's not really of the moment, but it blew my mind. Even if I didn't think it was like a five star documentary, Same. it was the first time we'd seen it, wasn't it? Yeah, Both yeah. Um, I think you'll agree with me um, because we kept bringing it up the whole time we were watching. Um, the relationship in that movie is super weird, isn't it? It's really toxic. <laughs> and it, it, it's it's weird to see a relationship in a documentary that's not toxic on one side. I feel like they're both very toxic to each other. Yeah. You know, she seems to just want to diminish all his dreams. And by the same token, he seems to treat her as just an object. Yeah, he's quite dismissive of her, isn't he? I mean, we're using he and she because I, I can't remember either of their names. Is it Adam? I, I couldn't tell you with any confidence. Okay, let's um, just use... Climber man and climber girl. girl's girlfriend. Yeah. Well, she's not really a climber girl, is she? No. As, I guess as not. he as he mentions, like he, he makes Repeatedly. sure to mention that, doesn't he? Yeah. Um, but to kind of just say that is the equivalent of someone being like, "You're not a real gamer." Like it's like she yeah, does enjoy climbing. Yeah, like she yeah. met him at a climbing event. Like yeah. she's just not one of the world's greatest climbers. Do you know what I mean? But it's strange, isn't it? Because it seems like she's trying to make him something he's not, and that's quite toxic and she and she seems intent on like you know during the whole documentary when he's sort of I mean Aaron about doing it you know he's going to do it eventually he's got to do it it's his dream she's the only one in the room being like no you don't have to you can just like you know kind of stay here you don't, you don't have to climb the mountain I mean, the film's so interesting to me in a way because it's sort it's sort of odd because on I, on the flip side I feel like he's just so bluntly like yeah I'll probably die haha that mm. I get from her perspective almost that she'd be like, you know, there's the option not to die. The... But at the same time, I feel like she fell in love with him for his passion. Yes. But then like, so what would happen? Would she change him and then she wouldn't love him anymore? Because she seems almost like, she seems less to love him for who he is. But at the same time, she fell in love with him for who he is. It's very, it's very confused. But, but on the flip side, I feel for her because... She's clearly very kind to him and very affectionate, and he just gives virtually nothing back. Like there's that gut wrenching bit where she says, "Yeah, I tell him he 
I tell him that I love him and he shows me that he loves me. Like, yeah. What does that mean? So are you saying that he very rarely tells you I love you too? That's that's very sad. Yeah, it's just it's just sad to me in many ways because I I I don't think I've seen some people comment on it online like, "Oh, you know, she's just there for the prestige and stuff." And I think she genuinely does love him. And I think it's quite yes. sad watching it. I'm thinking that I don't think he loves her as much as he loves climbing, which is fine. But I don't think she loves anything like he loves climbing. So it's 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 a bit. It, I th- I think the problem is that she won't accept that. But also that on the flip side, she's trying to get him to swap yeah. around the priorities. Like, isn't there that bit where she says something? I'm completely paraphrasing, but she says something like, "Is there not anything that?" you'd want to do more than climbing or, or like, is there anyone or anything that could... She says anyone, like, twice. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, no, 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 like... But it's weird because he says no as if he's not even understood the context of the question. Yeah. He's a peculiar guy. I mean, he's obviously an absolute wizard at what he does. Um, the, the, the thing that struck me was the, the, method- the methodology of repeatedly going up and out a mountain on rope. Mm. are marking out all the trajectories. Oh, it's incredibly impressive. Like it's a kind of religious diligence, isn't it? It's the kind of thing that only you really see in like people of like faith. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. it's a, it's it's a hobby, but it's it's more like a a, a personal like thesis. Yeah. So he, he just spends his whole time praying at the shrine that is climbing. It, it's gripping because that's his entire life, isn't it? And yeah. like this this um this climb is his absolute dream it's the climb of his life and if he does it he'll probably be one of the best if not the best climbers in the world yeah and like i couldn't live a life like that and you couldn't live a life like that Mm. but there's something kind of like i think to myself when i watch it something like there is something kind of honorable about what he's doing even if he's not particularly a nice person i see what you mean It, it it's an interesting mixed mix in the documentary isn't it because you're getting all that and then you're also seeing him you know, at home and with his girlfriend and you're sort of getting the sense that, you know, if he wasn't climbing anymore, I think he'd be at a loss of what to do with his life. I mean, I think that for me is what makes it ultimately an interesting documentary is mm. it, you feel like you've met a very, very, very interesting character and it's quite rare in a documentary to kind of Often the subject is what carries the documentary and the characters are there as the B-side. But I feel like Mm. almost the subject in this film paves way to just him as a person. And I just find him personally fascinating. Yes, I agree. And, and, you know, as much as I don't think he's a nice person, he's certainly gripping. Adam Collard? Isn't that the name... I kid you not, isn't that the name of the man from Love Island Series 4? (laughs) It might be! I think that's Adam Collard, if I'm not not mistaken. (laughs) I think that is Adam Collard from Love Island Series 4, you're referring to. Well, on that note... um, Love Island is back. Love Island is back. God, this is where everyone turns off the podcast. Yeah, don't worry, we'll we'll talk about Doctor Who in a sec. sec. Um, So at the time that we're recording this, only mm. one episode is aired. Yes. Um, I'm not sure about this cast. I think it's got a lot of potential... My worry is, is that we had a real opportunity to do something different with, with Love the Island Winter. Love Winter. Island. Yes. And now it's been rebranded across the board. It was announced as Love Island Winter. It's been very subtly rebranded to Love Island Series 6. Everything that's on its YouTube channel is hashtagged that way. The way it's been put out is, it's time for Series 6, which strikes me as odd because it feels like they've had a crisis of confidence in mm. the premise. Uh, I get, you know, part of the appeal of Love Island is everyone's in their swim shorts and it's really hot and it's like a holiday and now we're all going to fall in love. But you could totally fit that aesthetic into a ski lodge with hot springs and, you know, make it really cozy and give it a winter vibe. And do you know what I mean? Like it, it, you could have gone for an entirely different aesthetic. I think that would have very much helped it feeling, you know, fresh and new. And almost a different show. kind of contrib. Yes. Any, anything. I mean, that's, 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 that's the, the, the thing really is that like, I think you said this to me, it just feels like Love Island, which is great. I like Love Island. I'm sure within a few weeks I'm going to be thinking this is great. Mm. And like Love Island always takes a lot, a lot of time to get into. It's an actual commitment to kind yes. of get into it. The first episode's always boring. I don't know who these characters are, so there's not really a lot to debunk in terms of the show. I just think it's a missed opportunity. I think I should be had a bit of a crisis of confidence after Survivor of the Fittest failed. They're like Love Island. Their attempt yeah. at kind of placing it in the slot, and I think they've gone for safety. It's just weird, isn't it? Like January is not the time I'm feeling. Love Island is a reality TV show. I want to kind of come back, watch some trashy TV review when it's 
super hot yeah and do you know what i mean like oh yeah like love island what's going on in the villa um and it's kind of it's kind of you know the the, the talk of the summer um in the uk at least i will say one thing though mm. this is one of the most diverse casts ever not in terms of like not in terms of even necessarily like there are a lot more people of color than usual mm. um mm. but it's not even that it feels like there's a lot more people from different backgrounds there's not a load of people from essex and Towie Wombies in the same yeah. way. It does, you know, there's a lot of more regional ac- accents. There's a lot more... Well, there's also the heir to that estate, isn't there? What, the Cornish uh, yeah. man? Uh, Ollie, is, is Ollie his name? I think so. I mean, the guy that's been outed as a hunter uh, over the internet. Um, did you notice he dabbed? Yes, yeah, he did dab. Yeah, <laughs> yeah um, that's all over Reddit at the moment. I thought I was the only person to clock it. Oh and um, yeah, God. no, he literally, he dabbed. When, as well, when he thought she wasn't looking, which I think makes that even funnier. What a douche. But, um, <laughs> you know, I'm sure in a few weeks' time we'll have more to say on it. Yeah. And I'm sure it's going to be good. It's always good. It's just a bit of a shame on principle that they didn't try and kind of, um, you know, make it more relevant to the time that it was set. Yes. And yeah. speaking of something being relevant, um, I think this is the time to bring up uh, this week's episode of Doctor Who. Oh, wait, hang on. I've got a Look Who's Talking intro ready. You ready? Look who's talking. Matt Chris. Right, um, so this week's episode <laughs> of Doctor Who, um, which was titled uh, in the grand tradition of all episodes of the Chibnall era, having horrendous titles, uh, Orphan 55. What's this one next week, by the way? Is it Nikola Tesla's Night of Terror? I mean, that may Has that be, been officially announced? Uh, yeah, I think that may be the single worst episode title I heard although Prisoner of the Jadoon is up there for me which oh is going to be episode God. 5 that's written what by with these titles? Vinay Patel who wrote um, Demons of the Blue Job uh, okay um, but this week's Orphan 55 um, let's get the elephant out of the room <laughs> I fucking hated it I can't believe you hated it I just hated oh, it I was so disappointed I thought I, I don't know what you expected from episode 3 in a season of Doctor Who but anyway, um, I excuse, me, that I excuse me. Um, Gridlock is episode three of. Super oh Doctor yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Unquiet Dead. Yeah. Curse of Black Spot. Oh, Curse of Black Spot! What a phenomenal dumpster <laughs> fire that is. Um, no, yeah. Um, I was I was pleasantly surprised. I didn't think I didn't think it was amazing, um, but I still think it's it's a huge step up from series eleven. There was ideas behind it and cool concepts and there was an attempt at characters I think it's so strange to me that we've almost had an inverted reaction mm. to Ed Himes' other story where I gave It Takes You Away a lot more plaudits than you did because I was like at least it was trying to do something and you were like it's really sloppy there, aren't, there isn't any character work it's all over the place tonally mm. and now we've kind of swapped our criticisms because they're, like they're all much right. tighter than that like, I think It Takes You Away the, 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 the alternate universe stuff with um, with Graham and that like that's stronger than anything in this. But I think as a, t- as a whole package, um, I, I really had fun with this. It was clearly um, Aliens, which, you know, obviously I'm a huge fan of. Right down to the design of the truck was exactly like the APV and Aliens, the motion trackers, you know. By the way, the creature design in this was fantastic, did you not think? Um, honestly, I thought the creature design in close-up was very good. Mm. And I thought the way they use close-ups in the initial set pieces with Ryan, yeah. we use very effectively. I think in full, for me, they looked like a bad cross between the monsters in the time machine, like H.G. Wells. Wait, 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 wait. Are you going to say the Weevils? No. You weren't going to say the Weevils? I was going to say the future kind from Primeval. Oh, I think they okay. look very similar. And they, they, their I don't movements, know what they look like. Um, pretty much the same. Oh, um, okay. I w- I'll show you a picture of them after this uh, after this blog, and um, which I thought though for the budget it was good for a shooting budget. I think when they were in, in outside and looked more like primates, I think they looked a bit naff. I never criticised Doctor really? Who stories on the special effects. Really, that's part of the course. Like, I never have an issue with a Doctor Who story. I thought there were some absolutely lame set pieces. Really, um, <laughs> that woman who was screaming Benny the whole time, sacrificing herself, but like just walking forward and getting mauled instantly, so she basically didn't have to die. Was so dumb. No, no, no. I, I disagree there because she's too old to run away. By jumping into the belly of the beast, she's buying them some time. Also, I did enjoy. What did she say? Something like, you know, like which one is the one that killed my Benny? I mean, that I'm, was fun. I'm glad that she died because I found her supremely irritating um, across I, the episode. I didn't like um, how her husband died because you didn't see him, and you just kept getting told that he was outside and captured by them. 
Also, why did they capture him and not never explain him? No, never explained. I, I, I think they should have. I think they should have done something clever with that because I thought we were getting an Angel Bob type situation when he said, "I've got two questions." Yeah, for you. I yeah. thought it was going to be something like, "Can I come in?" Which would have been really chilling because, and, and I thought you were going to see him in view, and he was like mutated or something. Mm. And that's you know because I, I had a bit of a sneaking suspicion watching it. I was like. Not like this is Earth, but I was like, these are like people who've been mutated. So I thought, <laughs> what if he was partially mutated and that's why he said, please kill me? But he wasn't. And, you know, there were some very cool ideas. I like the idea that they invert their breathing to adapt to their new wasteland environment. Yes. And, I, you know, the big giveaway for me was when she said, it's an apex predator. I was like, oh, so they're mutants. They're not. Yeah. They're not. But I don't think it was ever really actually explicitly said that they were humans either. There was a bit where she was randomly oh, mumbling no, about I trees. Thought, I thought... Um... Pretty sure they did say they were evolved from from humans. I thought she just said they evolved. I don't think they ever. I think it was implied it was humans, and I took uh, it as humans. Okay. But I don't think they ever explicitly said the word Maybe humans. Maybe we'll have to go back and, and watch that. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm pretty certain it was just like they evolved from the condition. Okay. I mean, I I really enjoyed it. I I really liked how clean the setup was in the first couple of minutes. Like, oh, we've won tickets to go to this resort. We're in a space resort. Fantastic! Let's go have fun with it. I thought I thought there were some really great exchanges. Like um, again, I feel like Whitaker's really um, cemented herself in the role this season uh, with these first three episodes. Like when um, Ryan had that bug and she was helping him out, that felt a bit like you know in the Unicorn and the Wasp when David Tennant's asking for all these uh, cures for the poison. Um, I just I just felt like she had a really she has a really good grasp this season on commanding a room when she walks in and telling people you know no this is how it's going to happen because of your actions um and this is how i'm going to get you out of it um felt very doctory um i, I like the supporting cast you said to me before we recorded earlier that you thought there were too many characters i, I, I do agree with that i thought it was overstuffed but i think a lot of my criticisms of it in fairness come down to the fact that i think spyfall show this make it a two-parter i do think it was paced mm. i didn't like the pacing personally but on reflection do i think maybe that's because Spyfall was such a long epic and then to just have this thing that's like 45 minutes but then I also felt like saying that I think there were better tight one-handers like I always come back to this something like School Reunion <laughs> would you like a tight one-hander? School Reunion no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's what I'm hoping for yeah alright a few minutes <laughs> alright a few seconds though my love um, but um, like you know something like um, School Reunion or something um, like Heaven Sent. Mm. Obviously, they, you know, they're very good episodes, or God Complex. But I, I, I felt like this was more middle of the road for me in terms of a base under siege. I didn't feel like any of the characters particularly were interesting. But it, but it is episode three in a season. I mean, like how, uh, as I said earlier, how many episode threes are great? Also, I was coming thinking... off the back of an excellent two-parter, the last time that happened really was, what, Curse of the Black Spot? So it is basically Curse of the Black Spot again in terms of its place. Yeah, episode in the three does tend to be a bit naff. I was trying yeah. to think back. I think the only episode threes that I would say are quite good are Finn Ice. Yeah, I have, a lot, of great. Yeah. I have a lot of love for Finn Ice, and I do think over time we've both warmed to um, Victory of the Daleks quite a bit. Yeah, I know. You know, I, I've got time for Victory of the Daleks, and I'm quite dead's good trying to rack my brains for um shakespeare code sucks or is that episode that's two? episode two gridlock so is, gridlock's, gridlock's one of the best episode threes really when yeah. you tell it all up but that's that's again that that's actually got the same issues i think i have with this episode in that it's it's a bit all over the place i i think it was a criminal waste of james buckley oh, although oh. although i do like the dynamic of the mechanic's son is better equipped than Why him we, and there was no emotional payoff to it to me in the way it felt like there was too many it reminded yeah. me I don't remotely before you think I'm being hyperbolic. It reminded me of Tusnungra Conundrum, not in its quality, mm. but in terms of there's a lot of supporting cast here. And so only kind of given snippets of who they are. Yes. And so because of that, I felt like a lot of the characters were one dimensional. Get rid of, for example, the old couple. Maybe have James Buckley nicked or something. I don't know, like, there's, though, there was too, there was it, too it, much. It feels very Rusty Davies. Oh, get rid of that know? cat. Looked like something from Space Well, she got, she got killed pretty quickly. Yeah, I know, but you, you know, need, need you a bit of a body count. You didn't need, no, but the body count was already established in the opening act when all the residents were killed. Um, I don't necessarily mean get I don't mean get rid of it and kill off. I mean, like, the, you could have just scrapped a few people out of it. I thought the reveal that it was a daughter was a bit naff. Just because it, it, it didn't feel earned to me. No. She, didn't feel, she didn't feel earned to me as a character. She felt very one note. 
but I did, but I, I did like how breakneck it was, and how we kept getting these different revelations, and they they were all tying into the central question of where are we, what's going on, who's behind it. Um, I think often reveals that can screw with the pacing of something, uh, when something massive happens and it's skimmed, skimmed over, like in Rise of Skullker, you know, when, when Hux is shot. Um, the reason why, to me, that jars me pace-wise is because that's a character we followed for yeah. two movies and now it's just, he's just been blown off screen like it, like it's not it's not a big deal. Um, whereas all the reveals in this, even if they didn't... What, what do you mean reveal? What do you mean reveal? What reveal? What in the you... episode? Um, well, you know, like when the mum is revealed to be um, related to... Yeah, yeah that daughter. one, but what, what was the oh, other reveal? Oh, you mean when uh, it turns out to be Earth? Wait, what? <laughs> the Statue of Liberty? <laughs> That was our planet. You blew it up. You monsters. Damn you. Damn you all to hell. So uh, I just, I just, you know, I really wanted to do that. I've, was, I've always, I've, you know, it's been my dream in life to have myself recorded doing the Planet of the Apes. So. Was, was that worth giving me the facial signal midway through my sentence to completely prime me off what I was saying? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> um... But yeah, it all, it all kind of fed in, even if some of it was a bit hokey, but I, I was kind of along for the ride. It, it, also, the planet actually looked really cool. The fog surrounding them, you know, when they came out of the APV, um, made it feel like a legit crock of shit planet. Um, I just don't think it's quite... It's still not for me. The batting average for an average episode is not high enough for me. Like, I, I don't want that to... This is reminding me of Ghost Monument, where it's quite early in the series. So we're a bit like, oh, you know, but like... It but has to be better that, than I, this, I, in my I, opinion. I still think it's stronger in terms of the, the ideas it's playing with. And I feel like there's still genuine effort put behind it. I think Whitaker's much more comfortable in the role. Graham's still hilarious. Are you talking um, about him having his speedos? Uh, yeah, I mean, so many things. The amount of times he said son, um, always, always fantastic. Um, also, I think, you know, Ryan and Yaz are coming into their own a bit more. As we said um, last series, I think Tosin Cole is always given the most to do, thematically. He is, yeah. Even if I do still think he's the weakest actor. What was they're, the they're line really... he said? Oh, yeah, and he's like, oh, so how long have you been unemployed? And she's like, oh, is that the worst chap line ever? And he's like, yeah, 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 I've just made history. Oh, also, I really like the exchange, you know, when they're having a little conversation with And the doctor comes in the middle. Yeah, yeah, and then... Yaz, who I feel like you're right, they are clearly developing some sort of romantic connection there because she keeps popping up like, oh, what are you guys talking about? And then when he's like, what does he say? Something like, oh, yeah, no, we're just talking about uh, dead parents, actually. Like, the way he delivers that had me had me cracking up. Um, so I think there's loads of moments like that in the, in, in, in the episode that, that kind of gave me a lot of goodwill towards it, even if it doesn't quite come together. What, what it was for me was I wasn't enjoying the first act. Mm. I thought it felt rushed. The second act and then the human reveal, I was like, this is really, really intriguing. Mm. And that just didn't feel like it kind of paid off. I felt particularly the ending was just, they got zapped away and then they were like, can't we go back? And she was like, we can't, maybe that was, I I was not a fan of, this is just one possible future. She's not Doctor Strange. No. You know, you know they, the cool thing with Doctor Who for me is that always like, as much as time is malleable, it's also sort of fixed. So like the Doctor does that thing with Satellite 5 in Series 1. It doesn't splinter the timeline in half, mm. does it? It drastically changes the timeline. So it feels strange to me that the Doctor would just go, this is one of many timelines. It's like, well, I mean, what, we don't what? know yet in the season if that's going to come back. No, and they, there are there are rumours to suggest that last series was focusing on historical issues and this series will focus more on the environment. Okay. And I have been buzz about that. I don't know how true it is. I mean, the same kind of people who were generating those rumours were saying that there were whole episodes... Um, going to be on um, some of the guests that were in last week. And there were people saying there was a whole episode in Wartown, Paris, France, for example. So take that with a pinch of salt. But I I do think it was a bit veering into edutainment in the last couple of minutes. Um, Basically addressing the camera. Yeah, no, I wasn't a fan of that. But I do do think the idea that they've gone to this resort, which has this this lovely sheen it's like oh you know relax forget about all your problems and then outside is the actual earth which is scorched and full of monsters i i, I quite enjoyed also i do like even though the mum the mother daughter stuff didn't quite work for me the fact that they get on the teleport and then graham's kind of half-heartedly like yeah they'll be all right and ryan's just like how are they going to be all right um, we've left them there and you just never find out what happens to them they probably got eaten but I like the ambiguity which I think comes back to the theme of this season which I think is being sewed, sewed in now more clearly is the trust 
in the Doctor. Mm. Yaz at the end, how long did you know about that? Yes, yeah. And I'm like, I think, I think this is going to be the big theme of the Doctor being fallible. Mm. And um, I'm excited for that, even if I didn't like this episode that much, because Series 11 really made her infallible and made her awesome. Um, did you notice the returning character this episode from previous seasons? Which I'm sure you would have gotten a kick out of if you'd recognised it. No, what was it? Well, it's the good old tunnel from Flatline, isn't it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> that oh, popped up inside yeah. one invasion. Oh, yeah. And, um, at least, oh, I'm pretty sure it was the same tunnel. It looked very It's similar. always the same bloody tunnel. Yeah. They've I used mean, it in something else, haven't they? Yes, they've used it. Oh, that's going to really annoy me. But yes, they always <laughs> use that fucking tunnel. And it's always used in the same way. It look, it, like uh, It never looks different, does it? No. Also, before the Earth reveal, when they went down there, I was like, that's clearly brickwork. Which was not... There's no way that was a tease to say that it was Earth. No, that was just they no. didn't have the budget to get a proper well, tunnel. You know, what, you know what it is for me? It reminds me of um, when we were making student films. And we, when we were at university, there was a sort of basement zone <laughs> yeah. um, in where the main campus was. And every time we did a sci-fi film or anything that required an interrogation or a hospital or anything, mm. we always just went, let's use the basement zone. <laughs> and then I look at all the student films I made, and so many of them just include this basement area that people are running down. Like, I think there's at least five I can think of almost immediately that we made as students. I think the best time it was ever used was in Backed Up, because we actually bothered to try and yeah, get we it into a hospital. Past, and yeah, it, it actually looked alright if you kept it fairly tight on the on but the environment. It's just bizarre to me. I mean, I'm pretty sure they use the same studio a lot for a lot of their historical things as well, given the shape often. Yeah. It's like yeah. a weird it's like always like a weird rectangular shape where there's it's all converges in one corner and then you never see the left hand side of the screen. It's always all the historical sets. The one I really remember just from New Who's history is in series six, the ganger control room is the exact same shape, including up the stairs and the entrance to um, where they find Amy with Melody in Good Man Goes to War. And obviously it's like the very next episode. If you look, like the actual layout of the room is exactly the same. It, it is funny been, when that happens. Yeah, like redressed set. It's the same thing with albums, though. Often, like, it's the same thing as, like, sequencing. If you put that in two separate series, it doesn't look as bad. Like, we're complaining right now, but... Like flatline and zygon inversion and this gap—it's a long gap. You yeah, know what I mean? yeah, yeah, it's just funny because we're fans. We're um, nerds. There's there's an album um, by Mac DeMarco which has two songs which start with the exact same chord, just strummed exactly once. Like, Dun. so when you play them back to back, it's just like, wow, he really, uh, <laughs> really, he really was a uh, devoid of inspiration. He was innovating. On this album. Yeah, he just <laughs> thought, oh, you know what? I'll just start this uh, song in the exact same way. Um, None of these idiots will notice. But um, I, you know. I'm still not like, oh, the series is back. Even if I didn't enjoy this episode, I'm still mm. very much loving Spyfall. I'm liking that they're seeding in more things for a character. It's it was more confidence. I, I enjoyed it. Uh, didn't love it, but I didn't hate it. I think there was a lot of um, things to keep me going. Also, I think it felt a bit Rusty Davies-esque in the sense of, yes. like, you know, the old couple, the, fa- the father-son, you know, the, we were getting little tidbits of these characters and, you know, there was a body count, people were actually dying. It's just been done better, in my opinion, Yes. Oh, oh, also, quickly before we give our rankings, um, the only thing that really bothered me was, you know, how it was like, oh, you're running out of oxygen. Because that felt really empty as a point of tension. And also, there's a certain episode, um, can't remember the name of it, that dealt with oxygen really well, didn't it? And oh, used that as a um, point of tension. Oh, what's it called? Um, yeah, Aliens of London. That was it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I just... feel like once you've done it, you... You can't do it in a lesser form in another episode. Just for anyone who's wondering, Matt obviously wasn't referring to Aliens of London. He was, was referring to Sleep No More. <laughs> <laughs> Sleep No More. Can't wait for that two-part, the, the second no, concluding it's, episode. No, it was Series 10, Episode 5, written by Jamie Mason, CO2. Um, <laughs> so, how would you rank this week's episode, then? Um, I'd give it a semi-skimmed. I mean, uh, it's skimmed all the way for me, but... I think, I think, I think that's super harsh, but... Hey... I hold Doctor Who to a high standard. Yeah. I always will. Well, I mean, it's up to you. Up you to know you. what else I hold to, to a high standard? Mm. This podcast. And it's not <laughs> been working out well. So, uh, <laughs> Are you going to get in to replace me? Christopher um, Plummer? <laughs> no, I'll just, you know what I'll do? I will speak into this microphone, then I'll run all the way around to the other side. I'll oh, speak to this, and it, it'll feel like a real conversation. Really? So it'll yeah. be like um, that Robin Williams movie, Hook. I don't know, actually know which Robin Williams movie you're referring to. Is that Good Morning Vietnam or... Uh, no, you know the one where he's uh, Peter Pan, but he's like grown up. No, but is that in Hook? I've not seen Hook. No, 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 no. I was... Oh, the uh, the thing of him... Yeah, what were you referencing? Jumping, oh, uh, yeah, Hook. 
I, I mean, I'm going to take it. I'm going to take that surface value because I think. What other that... What other Robin Williams film is there where he assumes a dual role and has to sort of like flip flop between the two identities? Oh, it's Mrs. Doubtfire. Oh, I see. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, for God's sake! I'm an idiot. Such great banter. It really is. Um. So on that note, um, I guess this is uh, a goodbye from me. And it's a uh, goodbye from me. And if you don't see me for the rest of the day um, good afternoon good evening and good night I don't think I botched that quote you know I was really hoping we could do I was really hoping we could do a two Ronnies um, you know, oh. so you'd, I'd say it's a good night from you no yes. from me Yeah. and then you'd say and it's a good night from him you okay. know, in a homage so should, should we try again okay cool and uh, it's a good night from me mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so you say it's a good night from him when I oh say, okay okay, okay. I, give, give it one more go give it one more go and it's a good night from me knickers right okay um <laughs> And so, right, so when I put my hand in the hair and I stamp down... Your hand in the hair? In the air. And I stamp down on your left foot, right, you yeah. smile and nod. Okay. Hello, Mr. Thompson. <laughs> but Chris, they're not going to be able to see me smile and nod. Ah, yeah. Oh, well, this has been a futile exercise. Um, I've been Chris. And I've been Chris as well. Oh, my God. <laughs> you know what? I'm going to hit stop now. Okay, look. Thank you for well, listening. Well, uh, this is goodbye from your main man, Matt. And please don't forget to do this. <laughs> can I just think, can I just mention one more thing? I can't remember, like, can I just mention one more thing? Just you saying, please don't forget to like and subscribe. Do you remember that Reddit thing we saw the other day? Oh, with the, the kids. Yeah, like, yeah, some woman had her uh, her friend's, her kid's friend round. And as she said goodbye to him, and as he left, he said, don't forget to like and subscribe. <laughs> he was five years old and he watched so much YouTube that he did not realise that that wasn't just another word for goodbye. Um, well, so. that is, and then that is the um, the first step towards the idiocracy, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so in the grand tradition of that, don't forget to like and subscribe <laughs> and goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>